This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Min Dariwal. And welcome to The Loop. So we're coming to the end of Pride Month, um, which is a really important time. Members of Edmonton's 2S LGBTQIA plus community, uh, there's gathering, there's celebrations, uh, there's lots of partying. Yes. Which is great. June is this kind of unbridled moment of, of dedicated and intentional joy for mm-hmm. a community that's still fighting discrimination on a lot of fronts. Yes, certainly are. There's there's no doubt about that, but they are also gaining a lot of momentum, which is great to see. Yeah. So, yes, today on The Loop, we want to peek into what queerness can look like and some of the ways it's expressed, celebrated, and experienced in uh, Edmonton and by Edmontonians. So we brought a few folks together to share their stories. Ihua Zhang is a queer Chinese-Canadian and community organizer. Chelsea Curry is a Plains Creek Two-Spirit student of Indigenous social work. And Emmett Michael is an Edmonton-based singer-songwriter who's trans. And hello and welcome all of you to the podcast. So I know I'm starting with a a really massive question here. Um, Tell me a bit about finding yourself and what it meant for you to come into your queer identity. What did that look like? Chelsea, I'd love to start with you. Mm. I think coming into my queer identity was definitely a cultural awakening because it's about describing the feeling when you're closest to the spirit. And for me, uh, realizing that was about connecting with Elder Albert McLeod, who was uh, there in 1990, defining to spirit. And so I think coming to the expression that I'm in now that was very much uh, about taking on a cultural role, taking on a spiritual role Mm. and in a way um, also in the Cree culture, I felt that my, my family was really supportive and I'm, I'm grateful for that. It kind of just, it's like you are who you are and I see you for who you are. Yeah. And I think having, some places to go as a queer youth in high school, which is when I came out um, to call home, to have a chosen family, to have that we share something together and we're moving forward and we're creating this this flow of art, which mm-hmm. is anything that makes you feel something. Yeah. yeah. And so we uh, made this film called from redneck to rainbow and that was with the grand prairie youth council and it was so fun like it was just like it's it's hard to describe it's hard to car- uh, compartmentalize because it's ongoing really i'm still coming into my queerness yeah. and you know like by returning back to the circle returning back to the ceremonial space of being to spirit being ayakwil i was just spending time in red deer the other day for indigenous people's day and that felt like a coming out, a coming in, mm. because I was there with Edmonton Two-Spirit Society and Ketsala, who is Edmonton Two-Spirit Society's new executive director. And it was so beautiful because we had an honor song. And that's big. Like, we feel like we made history in a way because to go to a non-Two-Spirit ceremonial space, mm. it's always like how's it going to go? How's it going to be? Like, like at what stage are we at our healing process hmm. where we can see each other like that? Yeah, I'm human and you're human. But that was really what brought it together for me. And it brought me to tears. But like those, 
the healing tears and like that queer joy yeah. too, where it was like, I, I didn't even plan on dancing. I, so I didn't have any regalia with me. I just had a pride flag and they were like, there's no option for uh, an honor song. You have to dance. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I was like, but this is really cool though, because it's happening just as it is because we always are who we are. Yeah. I, I love too just that distinction you made between the coming out, the coming in as well. Um, Emmett, can you just share maybe a, a bit about your own experience? What is, what is that coming in process look like for you? Yeah, I, I really like that idea as well of it being rather than a coming out to the world, coming into yourself and moving beyond just self-acceptance and finding others that accept you, but finding people who celebrate differences. Um, queer, by definition, we know it, it includes the LGBTQ2S plus people, but also by definition, it means just anything that is different from what greater society has deemed to be uh, normal or acceptable. And I think that it's sort of the human condition to squash those things and to discourage them. And so I think it's very empowering to reach a phase of your life where you can say, I recognize that this is not something that the world necessarily celebrates, mm -hmm. but I am deciding to be me anyway. Uh, there's something really, really powerful and, and beautiful about that, I think. And for me, in my experience, coming out uh, in a Christian community, it wasn't necessarily something that was uh, very celebrated. Um, and I faced a lot of really great pain and rejection. Mm. Um, but within those spaces were also pockets of people who were really, really kind, even though they had been taught their whole lives that who I was was wrong and that that identity was wrong. They chose in the name of love to question their beliefs and to find out, you know, like what, what does love, unconditional love that we preach uh, really look like as opposed to, you know, the things we might have been taught growing up. Because I think a lot of people don't really question those beliefs until they're faced with somebody they love going through it uh, and, and challenging that. And so that's sort of what um, my experience was. Yihua, what about you? Um, Chelsea touched on it. It's, it's a journey, right? Yeah. We're all, <laughs> as queer folks, we're kind of on this journey for a lifetime. We never stop being queer. I think for me, um, it, it's definitely been very different. When I was younger, I feel like, you know, between different cultural communities is a different experience. But definitely with being Asian and Chinese and queer, there's a lot of tension in those like in those intersecting identities. And for a really long time, I was I would say like kind of queer with my friends, but not like generally out with society and like with my mm -hmm. partner too. But it was almost like there was like just like this precipitous shame that was constantly there that I felt like I just couldn't be myself. It was actually in the middle of COVID when I came out to my mom, which was actually much more well-received than, than I expected. It was actually a really positive experience, which I really appreciate. But yeah. being from like a Chinese Christian family, it has been, um, you know, just the fear of like, like being not accepted and also like this idea of like, oh, will the people in my community will my family love me the same if I if I come out and that's something that I think is really challenging and people shouldn't struggle with you know will I still be loved if, like they should be told of course you will be um so yeah it's definitely been a journey but you know for throughout my life I've always had really supportive friends and really supportive community which has really carried me through a lot of these experiences 
Um, especially I met a lot of great folks throughout university. There were some great organizations at the U of A that year did support for, for queer folks. And um, I was just at like, a, like an anti-colonial pride rally last week that was organized by a collective called Shades of Color, which is like a QT BIPOC support space uh, in Edmonton. So um, even though there are challenges for sure, like I'm still gonna be on a journey with my family and with the Chinese community for sure. Um, like Emma said, there's like these pockets of support which are becoming way more pro, like there's a lot more prolific support systems in, in the community. And especially for, you know, like queer people of color, for trans folks, which still, there's still a lot of work to do for 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 certain types of ways that queerness is presented. You know, we've done a lot of great work um, normalizing certain like images of queerness, but there's all sorts of types of queerness and there's still a lot of work to be done in there. But yeah. um, the journey has been different and it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. You've all said it. it's a journey, right? This is a process and it's constant self-discovery and, and celebration. But support is a huge part of that. What does support look like for you now? I'd love to know. Where do you tap into it in your life? Yihua, um, what does it look like for you now, now that you're out of university and that kind of circle that first helped you? I feel like it's so important to find community wherever you are. Um, I think for a really long time I've been, so I did some work with a collective called The Hue, which is another QT BIPOC support space, which is really great. It's really great to have spaces dedicated to mm. racialized queer folks. That's that's really important for me. And I found a lot of support. You know, we put on events and we did stuff like that, but just having folks who understood the experience and even like other folks, maybe from Asian descent who like, you know, understood right away when I talked about the difficulty of like maybe coming out to my family. That's so important. That's one. And then two, recently I've been doing some work in the Chinese community um, just because like recognizing that for a lot of us, um, you know, there's there's a journey to go on, like you said, but the work of um, like developing these relationships, you really start to find out that like maybe our perceptions of who would accept us or who would not accept us is actually a little bit different. Like for it's important for us to be open minded as well as queer folks and to allow that support to come in from folks that maybe we wouldn't expect that. And I did get a lot of that from the Chinese community who were surprisingly more supportive than I expected. So that's been really great as well. Yeah. yeah. A, a good surprise. I bet I bet that kind of you're almost guarding yourself for a different reaction. But mm-hmm. uh, Chelsea, I mean, what is support? You've talked a bit about ceremony and, and that kind of indigenous two spirit community. Where do you tap into support as you continue on in your journey? Where does it come from? I think that cultural circle, it's described as welcoming back into the circle because at one point that self-narrative was was or could have been um am i worthy of love in the different expressions that it takes and i i agree i i really love that you who are you mentioned that being open-minded ourselves because i feel like there was times where i felt like i i doubted myself or i felt Am I worthy of love from the people who I care about? And I am. We always are. I feel like that support for me now looks like um, watching and witnessing the growth of my queer family. Um, One of my friends recently came out as a trans and the next time that I saw her, I was like, I got to call her by her new name. And I just gave her a hug and I was just like, I love you. Like, I'm so proud of you. That opportunity, that is like such a blessing because 
you cross paths with like your queer family and you may not you already feel like just after one time that we're I know you somehow I'm home like that's the support too is being able to check in it feels like like a soul checkpoint almost where it's like I get to witness your growth and so I feel like that's where that support is too Mm -hmm. just being able to check in with queer family and um, being able to support each other in that way and checking in and focusing on what does self-care look like for you yeah like right now during this time and that means so much too from national indigenous people's day um a few of my non-indigenous friends sent me a message and they were like hey i know today may be a hard day for you or i like how are you feeling and that means so much like on orange t-shirt day on mmiwg2s day those things are so important so i feel like checking in on mental health spiritual health um that's a big part of the support too Emmett, I mean, what about you? Tell me about your support. Yeah, so for me, that looked like what was important to me at the time was to f- to know that there was such a thing as other queer people who existed in Christian spaces. Yeah. Uh, and that was something that I really utilized. Like during COVID, actually, I found a lot of people on Instagram. I think like this is one of the reasons that social media is a good thing. Um, and just <laughs> being able to like connect with people who had... Um, shared beliefs and who struggled to maintain uh, those beliefs because of people who kind of ousted them. Um, And I think like for me, community doesn't really look like necessarily like, okay, what label do I belong under and how do I associate with these people? That kind of happens naturally. But for me, it was like just finding like one or two people that I knew loved and accepted me unconditionally. And that was really close friends that I could, you know, pick up my buddy and we could go for a drive and chat for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I really like Chelsea, what you said there about your friend um, coming out as trans and you get to call her her new name. Uh, you know, it's not like a, sometimes for me growing up, it was like, oh, we have, we have to do this now. You're, pu- you're putting us through this hard thing. When in reality, like the person that was suffering the most was me in that situation, um, because there are all these people around me who had this attitude of you're making our life difficult because mm-hmm. there's nothing that makes somebody's life more painful than knowing that you are causing pain for other people. And I think I just, I felt really alone in that, but there was, you know, like a handful of people who were like, I got you. And I see that that really sucks and I'm here for you. And, and people like that are literally, uh, it's a life or death situation. Uh, we know statistically that people, um, for example, whose parents don't support them, like that that changes statistics dramatically for people who end up dying by suicide or struggling with uh, addiction and mental health stuff. Mm-hmm. I think for a long time, I was very hell-bent on focusing on how do we change people's minds? Mm-hmm. But now I have an attitude of how do we love people who are persecuted by people who won't change their minds? Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's the most important is to be that sort of safety net for people. Yeah, that's a key switch. Tell me about being just on the receiving end of what Chelsea was talking about, of being the person who someone's like, I'm so thankful that I get to recognize you as who you are and call you. I, what, what did that moment, what's, what did those feel like for you? It just feels like after years of living in a body that does not 
properly project who you are on the inside, having somebody see you as you are, Mm -hmm. it is absolutely life altering. Um, in, in a case like that, I am now able to see myself and learn about myself as I am in a way that I not, I didn't necessarily have permission to do before. And like, for me, that's like through music, that's something that I never imagined is like actually writing and sharing songs about my lived experience. And it's because people empowered me to be able to do that. They said, not only do I accept you, but like, this is awesome that this is the way you are and you can do anything uh, that you want to do. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, Emma, just, uh, you know, staying with, uh, you mentioned your music. I mean, how has that changed the way you, uh, you know, express yourself through your music and, um, you know, what is it like to be able to be so open, uh, with your art? The ability that I have now to talk about the hard things and, and who I am is something that before seemed absolutely impossible to be able to do. Uh, and it was actually through a really, really long journey using drugs and alcohol to cope uh, in my teen years. I got to rehab at 17 and uh, I didn't have much else to do but write or play guitar. And so I just started channeling all these feelings that for so long I numbed with these substances into songs. And there were a bunch of people there. Uh, and this is also the space that I was able to come out as transgender for the mm. first time too. Wow. And I was just surrounded by counselors, which really helps, but also all of these other kids who didn't have an experience with this, but were like, okay, well, we really like you and we want to learn about this. And so we're going to support you. And we had all of these tools and it was just a really great like safety net to be able to say like, this is who I am. And from that point, I think that's what gave me the courage to start to put my feelings into these songs and then slowly kind of release them out into the world and, and hearing from people when they heard my music uh, at a show say, you know, like this makes me feel seen knowing how important it is to, to feel that way. And that other people have made me feel that way before. It was just like, it hit me all at once. Like, okay, this is what I need to do with my life. And since then I haven't held back. Yeah. That must, I mean, that must've been pretty powerful, right? Especially the fact that it uh, allows someone else uh, by you opening up, allows someone else to feel that they can do that too then. Yeah, I think art is very uh, reciprocal, and that's what makes it so magical. Ihua, Chelsea, either of you, um, you know, is there a way you can you found that you're able to unleash, you know, your your queerness fully? Yeah, like I mean, so you know, what Emma touched on this idea of being seen. Hmm. There's such an important concept, I think, in our communities, and I think for so many of us, we struggle with that. And I think for folks who are not queer, are not racialized, it's actually really hard to understand emotionally what it's like to not have that. Yeah. And and I think for me, I didn't really understand either. It was until the moment where I actually felt seen that I was like, whoa, like this is so such an important thing and such a magical, transformative, loving act of love that yeah. I just didn't have for a really long time. Like being racialized and being queer, like there were spaces where I was allowed to be queer, but maybe my racial identity wasn't accepted. And then spaces where I was allowed to have my racial identity, but queerness wasn't accepted. So for a really long time, I was living in between these two worlds of like, just not ever being fully accepted for who you are. And when once once you have that, like I got to have a little bit more of that university, it is like I said, like this transformational experience. It's mm-hmm. really, really beautiful. And it's really, and I think for a lot of us, we continue to invest 
having that for ourselves was also doing that for others, which kind of goes back to, again, what Emma said, uh, this idea of unconditional love, right? Yeah. And knowing that like this is such an important commitment that we make to our community, because like what does unconditional love look like? Like it's it's such, I don't think any of us have the answer to that, but <laughs> what I really, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, what is that? I don't know what that means, but I think what's really important for me is I know that with my relationships, with my friends, mm. with the queer folks that I'm around, we're committed to it. We're committed to building unconditional love, to discovering what that is, to right. trying to create that because we understand that's what underpins us as a community. Yeah. Uh, so even though that might be something that's kind of this concept that we're not really 100% sure, but we're invested in practicing it because it is important and we understand as queer folks that you know love is kind of what brings us all together. So. Yeah, I just feel like a lot of things that Emmett mentioned were definitely like definitely really resonated with me as a as a queer racialized yeah. person. Chelsea, I, th- I mean, I think it, you touched on it earlier when you, you spoke about going to Red Deer. I mean, that may have been that moment where you felt that acceptance and and you know that emotional connection. But is there is there another vehicle or avenue where you know you find you're able to kind of unleash uh, fully who you are? For for myself, by painting and art, mm. that is something that really reminds me who I am and there's a painting that I have and it says which is meditation state of mind that was one of the first paintings that I did in like 2020 and I just go back to that because I feel like it just represents like the the mind and I really love how you mentioned that uh you are between two worlds because all the time in ceremonies, like the elders will talk about walking in two worlds. And that's really beautiful because I feel like that concept of calling this spirit back, if we're uh, bringing that a different realm to queerness, like queer art as a form of resistance and sustenance, it's necessary. For me, like there's no alternative. Moving forward and learning to unearth those ways of like this is something that's going to empower me now i'm no longer going to participate in a narrative that disempowers me like there's no other like i am queer like to spirit the womb to the tomb um but it was so cute the other day i saw that um but i think it's so cool because it's like I don't know. It's just like, I, I think there's different ways to come into that queerness for me. And I'm so excited to find the, the ways that are going to come about. Um, I think something that's really empowering as a two-spirit person is to think like unearthing these old ways of life. Mm. Right. That uh, queer people were always here, are here, and will be here. And so I look to like two-spirit elders and I think about the lives that they lived and what they went through and I'm also kind of just like it's like a little I can't really put it into words but it's kind of like a whisper and it's like that is so two-spirit like that (laughs) what you just did there like the mediating like that was beautiful like and I think that that narrative too like those words of affirmation like also learning that yeah the the self-narrative that's self-care too is being able to um, pat yourself on the back and be like, you did a good job. Like what you're doing is um, empowering people. And I think anything that has that core is that art. Mm. Absolutely. 
uh, you know, having grown up here in Alberta, and, and I'm assuming you guys have spent uh, a number of your years here as well, uh, you know, Alberta politics hasn't always been supportive of queer-centric policies and, um, you know, those that would support people in that community. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, you have some very out and loud, proud gay representatives uh, in Edmonton, of course, Blake Desjardins federally and uh, Janice Irwin provincially. Ihua, do you feel, uh, you know, represented politically here? Somewhat, I guess, like like you said, like there are queer, racialized queer folks, two-spirited queer folks who are being elected into office, yeah. um, which is really great to see. But I feel like for me personally, it's not nearly enough. Right. Um, and you can tell it's not nearly enough yeah. because of where the politics still are, you know? Yeah. And it is, it is, I will say, like really empowering to not only like see queer folks in politics, but like when queer folks in politics are now centering their queerness as a part of their political identity, which I think is so important because I think for a while, like either people were not coming out or if they were like, it wasn't necessarily something that they were centering. It was just like, okay, yeah, there's like a queer person in politics. But I think more so than ever, we're recognizing the need of having people who, you know, understand that's a part of the identity and then knowing that like how this plays in terms of their leadership because you know even as members of community i think we like again like we don't put down our queerness like when pride month ends we're still queer and we're still around right yeah. so yeah. when you enter these spaces you don't necessarily have you know for a really long time people were asked to kind of check it at the door but yeah. now maybe there's there's a there's a need and also a uh, more of a welcoming space to not do that. Um, so it's really great to see folks like Janice and Blake and other queer folks who are going to be entering the political sphere. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I feel like it's not nearly enough. And that's, you know, even some of the policies, um, you know, especially for some of the GSA stuff around youth. Like it's like when you're in your formative years, like it's so important to have supports. And as a, as a citizen of this this province, even if I'm not in school right now, like, hearing news and learning about things that governments are doing that's attacking our community, right. it is really hurtful. And it, and it almost, it feels very personal and it feels very uh, personal to our community as well, right? So, mm-hmm. um, because we do have care and love for all of our community members. So yes, there is more representation for sure, but there's a long ways to go. And I want to see even more support for, for queer and racialized folks in, in politics for sure, yeah. yeah. Emmett, Chelsea, how, how does it resonate uh, with you? I think I think it's really dangerous to uh, when people like Blake or Janice are elected uh, to say, "Okay, we did it. That's good." Right. Uh, and I think that's a lot of people's inclination, because in the vast scheme of things, that's like a tiny, tiny percent of everybody you know who has those seats. Yeah. Uh, and those people, as amazing and incredible as they are, can only have so much influence. And, uh, you know, I mean, it is wonderful to see um, queer leaders in politics. And I mean, I know from watching Janice, who's a friend of mine, um, really like the way that she approaches politics is extremely inspiring. Um, And she is like on the ground, like developing personal relationships with people and meeting people where they're at. And I don't think enough politicians do that. And so I can only imagine what would happen if like the vast majority of people were able to do that. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just a natural gift that queer people have to be able to know how to love people 
and like circling back to like what does unconditional love means or what does it mean? I think that unconditional love is just a a commitment to loving people the way they need to be loved as an individual Mm -hmm. because that's different for everybody. And I think that um, Janice Irwin and Blake Desjardins are examples of people who do that really well. And being somebody who is queer, you're kind of like, like forced in a, in a very good way to like learn, like <laughs> to value love yeah. and it's, it's painful. And, but you like recognize like, what is the true meaning of love? Because you kind of have to fight to find it. Right. Mm. Um, and I think that that's something that would be so, so positive for everyone in politics to be able to learn and to utilize. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Chelsea, how about you? Something that was brought to my mind, um, the idea of uh, Indigenous governance as well, coming into that space. Um, I think that it's, it's so important to bring that aspect because that there's so many different realms that open up um, respecting and honoring the the cultural roles of uh, the land protectors, the water protectors. That's like some of our core elements. And so I think that that is like really recentering like what what is governance and um, because there's in indigenous social work, um, there's this concept of a natural helping system which is like we all have our own circles and we're we're equal that's egalitarian and we're standing in our own circles um and you have your own but the person next to you also has theirs and that's how we're interconnected and so we have that circle because we're holding that thing that we share in the middle between us and then that's the flow and so i think um seeing leadership as that way of I'm the people, the people are me. There's not that separation. And so I think seeing people like Blake Desjardins in governance is like, we're witnessing just that movement forward. And you, I really love how you mentioned that. It's, it's great. It's amazing. Let's see more because we are the people Right. we're here. And so I think that, um, kind of at those beginning stages of encouraging like queer young people that these are things that you can do. Like Mm -hmm. if you see that for yourself and you feel that calling, let's figure out how to support you in those expressions that you feel called to. I I think that leads perfectly into one other thing that Chelsea actually brought it up right at the beginning of the conversation, but I want to make sure we talk about queer joy. Um, Because even as we've had this conversation, right, there's, a lot of really heavy and important things to talk about. But joy is just as important. Like often these conversations around the 2S LGBTQIA plus community are around issues. They're around challenges um, and pain. But I want to know what queer joy looks for you and, and where you find it. Um, Yihua, let's let's start with you. Tell me, queer joy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so you're absolutely right. Joy and pleasure, those are such important things, uh, important parts of our lives. And it also helps with building resiliency and interacting with our queer and intersectional identities in a way that's fun and, you know, enjoyable. Mm. Um, So, you know, it's really important to remember the roots of pride as a riot, but also 
take the time to celebrate and be with friends, which was really cool. Um, I really love, so like one of the things that the Hue was working on was we were building a, um, like a Dungeons and Dragons space for, for <laughs> queer racialized folks, which That's would be excellent. so cool. I've never played Dungeons and Dragons yet. All my friends, like a lot of my friends play it, but every time I want to go, they're like, okay, by the way, it's like a six hour commitment. I'm like, okay, I don't have six hours today, <laughs> so I can't go today, but sometime I'll find some time. But you know, even like just like games and spaces of like exploring each other, like Dungeons and Dragons is a great example because it's like this narrative and it's a story and you can get to build your character and be whoever you are. And um, I think it's just, you know, having spaces like that that's dedicated to queer folks, it's, it's so important. And mm. um, part of it is like understanding that like, you know, when we talk about our communities, there is a kind of an unsaid, unspoken understanding and relationship that we have with each other that makes these spaces so much more fun because we do feel safe, safe in them. So that's really great. And I also really love, um, you know, like even going to things like drag brunch, like it's just so cool to see some of these events more public and, and more accessible for other folks and to be able to enjoy these spaces, maybe with some of my friends who are not queer or are not yeah. racialized mm -hmm. because it is, we're all community together and for sure I have my queer family, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're queer in, in all spaces, in all communities. Yeah. And it's really important to share that joy and that fun with, with everyone else as well. So Pride Month is a pretty good month for that. Yeah. We, we do a pretty good job. It's yeah. just extending it past, right? Like, why does it all totally. have to end at the end of June? Emmett, I, tell me, I mean, queer joy, what does that mean? Like, what does that feel like? Where do you get that? I think for a long time, I didn't believe that it was possible. Oh. And the only uh, stories that I heard about queer and trans folks was that they were miserable and that they were suffering uh, and that they were other. And so I never imagined really until my late teens that I was worthy of feeling that joy, uh, that it was even possible to thrive and not just go about life surviving. Mm -hmm. And so now, uh, I mean, it's still a process. Um, and I think that queer people are more prone to suffering um, because of the way that society is set up. But then for me personally, that makes me even more appreciative of um, meaningful relationships. That's a really big one that brings me a lot of joy after years of not being able to share openly um, and suppressing all of my feelings, being able to come to a space as I am and proclaim that, that story is is something that brings me a lot of joy. I work as a gardener as my day job, and so I find a lot of joy within uh, nature. Yeah. And I also find a lot of queerness within nature. You know, I'll find like a weird mushroom and just be like, man, you're, buddy, you're different <laughs> and you're doing it. Good job. <laughs> I think that I'm just reminded of like all of the, like there's so much diversity in nature and we accept all of those things as absolutely beautiful. And like, why can't we do the same for human beings and of course like music and art not just like having that expression but sitting and taking in something especially from another queer artist is an amazing experience there's there's joy in that feeling of like oh i get this and i'm not the only person in the world that feels this way or has this story yeah i love it. i also love that you take the time to talk to mushrooms I think oh, they're, I, they're absolutely I listening. I talk to all of the little so, creatures. I'm going to look really at the do. mushrooms in my garden differently now. It definitely now. makes a difference, I'm sure, in the outcomes <laughs> yeah. of your job. Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea, tell me, I mean, where do you get your queer joy? 
like this past week, definitely being around my community and ceremony and finding those full circle moments because I'm at a time right now where I'm shifting. Um, I'll be working with, uh, I'll be a project leader for a national nonprofit. And so I'm, this has been in my mind, like thinking about um, how to create a safe space for young people Mm -hmm. so that they can try something new, uh, volunteer, figure out what it means to be a part of community. And so I think that that brings me joy and shifting to that. And like growing up, uh, I was a lot of the time very quiet and but very observant. And so shifting that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that finding like ways to figure out that I can shift that narrative and the the things that I wasn't too sure like how to put to words um those can help me feel connected to people and like so for this weekend for pride um we made this group chat and it was like just this idea that my one of my friends and I um thought about we were like oh we should get a group together and now it's like this group of like 30 people and I love it and we just all started like introducing ourselves and being like um hey this is my name these are my pronouns this is when I came out like I've known this person for this long and I was like how cool I was like we're just doing like what we do like we're just making friends like this like Mm -hmm. I, I just so that brings me joy because I was like how cool that we can just come together and be like not hesitate to think are these people safe can I be who I am can I tell them like who I am when I'm by myself in my own space and in my own body and then I'm sharing that space with other people like not having that hesitation anymore and so I feel like that's where joy is just flowing yeah yeah it's very simple but it's it's very powerful Mm -hmm. um I just wanted to ask uh, the three of you I mean with uh we have about just over a week left here in June. And of course, it's, you know, the month that recognizes the queer community. You know, what does Pride Month mean to you right now? Or what has it meant to you uh, this time around? Um, I always come back to, I think Pride is moving beyond acceptance and into a celebration of diversification. So Pride Month for me uh, means celebrating people as they are and, you know, showcasing what they have to offer, whether that be, you know, formally as an artist or allowing space for people to share personally Mm -hmm. um, and really dedicating a month to like committing to listen. And, you know, that's something you should do year round anyway. But um, I think when I consider Pride Month and what it means to me, um, there are a lot of spaces that open up where I feel very seen and heard. Um, and and I can only hope that I also celebrate other queer individuals as well. I think this year is different. Like, mm. like my friend at the beginning of the month was like, wishing you a very gay month. And I was like, <laughs> yes, like that's what I'm manifesting, like fully. That's just, it's like so vague, but so inclusive, just encompasses everything. Sure. And I, it has been like, I, I spent some time um, in Edmonton, in Winnipeg, um, Red Deer, back in Edmonton, in Montreal this weekend. And so, like, it's just, like, coming together to to be around. And, like, it's it's, like, just at the core of it, 
like love is love. Mm-hmm. It's a universal truth. Like it is. And I, I'm grateful for that time of the the year, that time of the cycles of the moon, that this is something that we've collectively decided like we're going to shift to that. We're going to focus on this for a while. And um, I think it's a good reminder too, like when, when it comes to July, just remembering that that's something that happens all year round. And like, how can we take that um, energy and what we uh, created here today and the seeds that we planted here today? um, How do we water those? moving forward and so i think that that's kind of like it's it's winding down like the soil is kind of settling and from here on out like we're just waiting to feel the inertia of the earth bring us back to Ihua and you um i think for me pride is so many different things um i think it's it's a celebration it's a protest. It's time to get together and have fun with each other. It's also a time for our community of healing and caring and loving for each other. And I think, you know, pride for me is really a reflection of like queerness and the queer journey. And we have to recognize that that's so multifaceted. Like there's mm-hmm. so many places of joy and happiness and pleasure, but there are places of of challenges, of of healing work that needs to be done, of relationship and community building. And I think pride should be should be a space for all that. And you know, well, I mean, all year round <laughs> yeah. there should be space for that for sure. We want to take that work and continue it throughout the year, but especially pride at this time that we dedicate to our community uh, needs to have space for all of that. And I think you are starting to change that a little. You are starting to see that shift. Like for a while, you know, people weren't able to be out and queer in public. So even having that, like the parades, like it's like such a moment. And we really leaned into that because like, oh, finally we're accepted in public space and we're celebrated, Mm -hmm. which is so important. So, but beyond that, you know, like, like kind of Emma talked about, like beyond what does that look like? It's, there's so much more. And, you know, at the anti-colonial rally, I talked about, you know, it's about inclusivity, it's about it's about celebration, but it's also about liberation for our community and what mm-hmm. that looks like, you know? So it is a multifaceted thing, but I'm loving seeing there's like, even this year, like I know we're coming out of the pandemic. So there's, you know, a lot of things popping up this year, but there was a lot more spaces that were like celebratory and um, really fun. But there were also spaces that were like reflective and healing and caring. And I think that's that's so important to have because as, as queer folks and that just as humans, like we... This is all part of our experience and part of how we negotiate and navigate our identities. And pride is very much a reflection of of how we do that as a community. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team is Min Darwell, Leslie Goldstone, Chris Martin, Olivia O, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. The Loop is usually out every Friday, but this summer we'll be taking some weeks off. Hmm. So you can subscribe to the feed. Uh, It's on whatever your favorite podcasting platform is. And you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes and bonus content from us. Yeah, and as always, thank you so much for listening. And The Loop is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis communities. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can send us an email at theloop at cbc.ca, pardon me. And uh, you can leave us a rating or a review wherever you download the show. Or you can get a hold of us on Twitter. I'm at Mindariwal. I'm at Naminab. And you can find us on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
I also want to acknowledge the joy I've gotten from seeing two cats on the video call so far. <laughs> this is Lumi. Hi, Lumi. She always decides to be snuggly at the most inopportune times. This like is when the I'm on a video perfect call. Perfect time. No, no, <laughs> no. The end, so she's, yeah. timing is good. she's usually really sassy, so I'm trying to take advantage of it. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.